Um, just to get started, as we know, the, the season and the, the direction of the family, kind of like recapping the, the powerful words that were spoken last week of just being like the word to the remnant, uh, to mom herself, but like individually to us as a body also, just that I trust my body again or and, and or I believe in my body again. And there's a power that comes with being entrusted with something. Yeah. Uh, you have to understand to the level of um, separation, in, in if there's infidelity within a marriage or a, a separation of anything, there it, it's so much more powerful to know when you say those words, I trust my body mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. that's different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's what yeah. we're being trusted, entrusted with yeah. as, as a corporate body that a way of lawlessness has been allowed whether we knew or not but to walk in and start to recognize these are his statutes these are his ways these are how he loves this is how he protects and to honor those things there's a reciprocating factor that comes to us in being trusted again there's there's a, a element of importance and kind of a, a an ability to step up and, and redeem and show uh, our a trustworthiness and so it was, it was really powerful to hear that word uh, and I love uh, that dad had shared a couple weeks ago just that we are to be a family that is loyal to the unseen that the things that are that seem impossible the things that you know are a call from Yahweh the things that are a promise that don't make sense to this world right now that we are a family that focuses on that there's there's something in that uh, and, and that's that's in a sense being trusted again with something that hasn't been seen. He hasn't shared some things because there hasn't been a level of trust to share those things. And so there's an honor in that. And so I encourage again tonight to take notes, uh, see how it applies to yourself, to your family, to your work, to every aspect of your life. These words that are coming are, are uh, John and Megan are, have the opportunity today to to share and dispense what Yahweh spoke to them and, and that's not to be taken lightly. That is a that is hard to reiterate, but it is the voice of the Father for each of us individually. And so put your place in that position to hear that. Um, we do have trading cash. So for a brief moment, uh, Ellen has uh, the trading cash. So if anyone has the ability to uh, get up really quickly in between to grab trading floor cash and um, with that I'm going to let mom and dad or dad go down. Thank you Gary. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so in order to uh, we just wanted to say a few words preceding the Hanson family sharing. Um, one thing that I'm going to kind of speak to Megan and mom's going to speak to John, not to them directly, but um, <laughs> but just speaking to the family as far as um, sending them into this and, and preparing the family to receive what they have to say. When a lot of time, a lot of the problem in religion or in the church culture in general is that 
Yahweh says things, but we don't always necessarily understand the heart behind what he's saying. We don't dig enough. We don't pursue enough. We don't stay enough. We're not hungry enough. We're not diligent enough. We're not disciplined enough to dig in and really get to the bottom of what is the heart behind what he's saying. It's kind of like the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, right? What's the reason for his voice and what he's saying in the first place? And I'm really excited to hear what the Hansons um, have to share tonight. Um, but specifically, what I want you guys to know about Megan is that she has this next level ability to articulate Yahweh's heart behind either the dynamics that are happening, circumstances, processes that the family's going through, or whoever. And if you guys have spent time with Megan, initially she's very comforting. And, she, and I'm not saying she becomes. <laughs> Here, let me finish. The first impression, the first impression, is very comforting. But because of the gift that she carries, if you spend more time getting to know Megan and you and you have genuine relationship with Megan, the more uncomfortable it can be because she understands his heart so well that it's intense. It's almost like fire. Fire is warm, right? Yeah. It feels yeah. good. But if you get too so close to it, it, it gets more and more intense, right? You'll start sweating, right? <laughs> you may be like, ooh, that was I kind of got burned right there. Maybe I'm not going to go that close anymore. I feel like this is the nature of the gifting that Megan has. And so, and she has, I have benefited from that gifting in my own life. And I'm sure lots of us have in relationship with Megan. But I'm excited about um, tonight because we get to hear what Yahweh has shown her uh, in reference to the time that we're in. And we get to hear it not in terms of like this is reiterating what Yahweh said, but really the heart behind what Yahweh is saying. And so I've got my notes ready because anytime Megan articulates what Yahweh is doing, I pay attention. Yeah. Um, and I, and I mean that. And uh, and so we're really excited. Um, and then on the flip side, <laughs> you have this, like, pounding heart of Yahweh, which can only go so far if there's no vessel on earth to express it. So a lot of us see Megan at the forefront in the family. But we all know that how a family works, that she can only go as far as John will launch her. So I am super excited. I personally feel like I get to share John. <laughs> because I feel like um, uh, I feel like a lot I think it Mm, I don't even know necessarily how to express it. I think that because of the way that Yahweh has set up their relationship, especially with the remnant in particular, you know, Yahweh has put her out on the forefront, but there's a foundation for her to be able to do that. And I like digging at foundations. So, I mean, I... I'm very close with Megan, but I wouldn't. I I have I haven't necessarily like told John this, but I don't really have a lot of like best friends, and I feel like 
Like he's one of the people that I can always like talk talk to or be able to bounce off of. And so I'm excited to be able to not only hear from both of them, but also that how intentional Yahweh was in that. Because as somebody who knows John, I'm the type of person like just it's like it's fine. Like we'll like just be the foundation. Because I wouldn't I personally would not choose him to talk because I know what that costs. Yeah. Not that we wouldn't want to hear what he has to say, but there, like I, ju- I just know him in that way. So as soon as I pulled his name, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then to pick Megan also was just, I mean, so it is extremely intentional to where they actually, she questioned if we had set that up. Definitely did not set that up. <laughs> but, um, but Yahweh's definitely doing something, and they personally, I know that Megan and John are going to be able to speak from a place of what the bride needs to hear. But what's the press is for them to be able to speak about what's going on personally. And you're getting them in a way that is completely different than when we got them four years ago, five years ago. I don't even know how long it's been. Six or seven. Six or seven. So like... You're so seven then. So you're seeing an entire wineskin. Yeah. So when they came in, they came in like absolute bulldozers. Mm-hmm. When we had no one, John was like, like I just remember him bolting into the building and he went right up to the front and put his hand on his back and I was like, I don't know who that man is, but I've never seen a man stand like that before. Yeah. And then to watch them die <laughs> and get like stripped down and go through their process and everything that they've been through, we're seeing them on the other side of an entire wineskin, only to open up a whole new wineskin. Right. And we get them right smack in the middle of that. So we're super excited for whatever Yahweh has on your guys' hearts. So you guys have the floor for however long. So some of the, I guess, the thing that I've been working through and the God that's showing me recently one I'll share tonight has to do with um, the, the blessings and the curse curses and how they relate and um, how they apply like in a in a real way to me, like how it's not just in the Bible and the Old Testament or the New Testament just mm-hmm. this idea that's out there, but just in a real applicable way and in just the different ways that they can be, um, I guess come to be. So one of the big questions is what does slavery provide that I I don't want to give up or what about slavery do I is attractive so like with that would be um, like safety and protection and you know some of those things that you don't really think about in safety but when you think about uh, when Israel came out of um, Egypt and the things when they were on their pathway to deliverance into the promised land the things that kept pulling them back and creating the doubt in their mind that made them do all the things that, you know, caused all the stories and different things that we read about in the Old Testament. And just trying to put myself in, thinking about it from that context and in that mindset, but in our in, in my everyday life um, and what that, what that means. So I think of things like 
like I said, um, safety, protection, uh, financial well-being, security, entertainment, comfort, and what what I would think of as blessings, but maybe aren't blessings, but that that entangle me or keep me in a place where I'm not supposed to be, and just the idea of um, how sometimes those things can be deceptive, what you pursue as, or what I pursue as a blessing, or the things that I think are blessings, and, and try to obtain them, but maybe... Maybe they are, maybe it starts out that way, but the way that I engage with it or the way that I pursue it is it turns out to be you know, something that started as a blessing or something good or that is good, but because of the way that I handle it, it becomes not good, it can become a curse, right? Things that, you know, like financial security or just security in general are good things are you know things that we all uh, pursue and try to obtain but really if that becomes the focus and then it takes away from you know my faith and relying on God and and treating it the way that it's intended to be and then that becomes you know, it can become my God that shifts to you know, essentially like idolatry and and those sorts of things and uh, Something that, that I've that God's spoken a lot to me through is just that whole story of leaving Egypt and slavery and going to the promised land and and all of the different applications that that can have and and then do wrong something that I read I think it was a couple months ago that has spoken a lot to me is in Deuteronomy's forty four thirty two forty. It talks about all of the different ways um, that God was real to Israel and how he was always faithful to them, the miracles, the closeness, and it really makes me reflect and think about the times in my life where God has, where things have happened where I thought it couldn't happen or it shouldn't happen, but it and and those are highlighted in my mind to help me when I have the next obstacle to overcome. And and those are you know those are powerful in my life, but they're nothing compared to what you know the miracles that we read about in in the Exodus, um, in God leading Israel out of um, slavery. And then so it's, it's kind of a reminder as well to humble myself because if they had all of those great things. And they still struggled in the ways that they did. That for me, like, to not think over highly of myself, not to think too much of, of myself, and that if it happened to them, it can certainly happen to me. And so, not in a place of, you know, self fulfilling prophecy, like, I'm going to fail, I'm going to mess this up, but, but to keep in mind that it's, and to be aware that, that that's there and I will fail. But uh, you know that God will be there with His grace and and help me do that. Yeah, so I think that that pretty much sums it up if it makes sense. And just that overall kind of idea of just the paradox and the 
relationship between the blessings and curses, slavery and freedom, and freedom, it comes at a cost, and slavery also provides value in the relationship between the two. And just being aware of that so that when freedom does cost, mm -hmm. that it's not surprising. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just prepared for that to pay the, the price and just to ask almost daily or in certain moments, am I prepared to pay the price for freedom or do I want to be a slave? And that's a question that I have to answer for myself pretty much in each moment. Um, slavery, so yes, freedom costs, and slavery also provides value or things that I place mm -hmm. value on. Which is really good because then when you think about like the cost of freedom, mm -hmm. then you could think that that's slavery, mm -hmm. and the value of right. slavery you could think is freedom, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. and that's what he's talking about the relationship yeah. between the two, discerning the two on a daily basis from all what was your like entertainment, money, like yeah, all just those, like, all those all things that could be that are can be good, but they mm -hmm. can also be bad mm -hmm. in how you freedom or yeah, and how you treat them or engage with them, approach them. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, and that the, if the curses and blessings are not always what they appear to be and can be interchangeable, almost even in the same moment, they can be. A, it can one yeah. thing could be a curse yeah. and a blessing. Mm -hmm. Like a good example is money. I mean, for a lot of people, money is a blessing, but, or we perceive it to be a blessing. But, but is it? Yeah, but you can be blessed and not have any money, and be cursed and have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's it. I think. The request was for me in Kingdom Heirs and Remnant, but I mean, I see those kind it's of all mm -hmm. being applicable yeah. to all of them. Is that good? Am I done? One thing to know, I hope that it's okay to share, but if you don't know this about John, he wouldn't have a devotional time to be able to share tonight. Yeah, like he, that's good. Like people may not know that about him because he's not necessarily outspoken, but he's wrestling through in his devotional time, literally disciplined on a daily basis, never fails to have that. So the questions and the things that he's talking about, stuff that he's been diving into for months, not because his name was drawn. Yeah. So in and out of season, yeah. being ready, whether you know it or not. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say something about that just super quick. Just add that mom talking about John being the foundation, that this little stack, I mean, this used to be different because it's the newer one, but this stack is out every morning when I wake up. So it literally, like, sets a foundation in my life every single day to know that the man of our home, even though he doesn't, you know, he's not on Voxer and he's not, like, in the sense that my voice has been pressed to be 
but that it is a foundation every day to walk downstairs and literally just see this out always always in a different like spot or a pillow that I have to fluff or whatever but in the sense of like that speaking to that foundation I get to fluff I don't mean have to fluff <laughs> in his office um okay I'm gonna try to make mine kind of fluid like he did and um so um the personal side for me is definitely more challenging um I really had to um process through it a little bit with mom um and it's not like challenging in the sense of has y'all even saying anything um but in the sense of like um is this is this relevant um like can i just speak to kingdom ears and can i just speak to the remnant part um so uh but part of that is because what he's been speaking to me um which is like pretty much every moment of the day for the last two two years the end of this month um is to make myself known and that I don't have to be alone on earth so um I the, the, the reasoning for that word is um, simply because I, I just entered a place at some point in my life of just being tucked away with him um, by choice. In this, not like, come, like, tuck yourself away in me, or but literally, like, I, the only place I feel safe is with you. Um, and, and so I have not, I have not known how to, how to be connected, how to, um, I mean, I haven't, I haven't even necessarily wanted to be. I mean, I think that there's always a part of your heart that longs for that because that's how we were created. But, but at some point in my story, just like we all have like a story that when we talk about he's rewriting my story, um, well, the story that he's been rewriting for me, which is why he would say, I need you to make yourself known um, so that you aren't alone, um, was because all I felt I was met with um, until I made that decision to just hide myself away in him was um, misunderstanding, um, rejection, and mockery. And um, making myself known only afforded what felt like loneliness anyway um and so 
And I mean, and that's like all the way back to just being a kid and, um, um, and I won't get into like all of those bits and pieces, but, um, but what I, what I always carried was this feeling of separation, um, from, from, I mean, just as a kid feeling like there is so much separation on earth and I didn't know him. Meaning I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian household in the sense of like the Christian church or having a relationship. I didn't know, um, about Yeshua in the way that, I mean, I, I grew up in a Catholic home that was very much just religion in the sense of we do these traditions and we go to church on Christmas and Easter and never read the word, anything like that. But it was like, um, my heart was just grieved all the time, all the time from such just a young age of feeling like, well, I can now say I identify as separation, but what it felt like was everything is so broken and I want to pick up all the pieces and I, but I, but I don't, but I don't know how. And, um, and it felt like that, um, that weight wasn't shared in the sense of I didn't know how to carry that with someone else. I didn't know how to, I tried to make that known in different ways. Um, and it, uh, just, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to like explain it well because there's just so many there would be like examples of like mockery and things like that but I didn't I didn't I didn't know him but I did um and um I don't know how to I'm struggling you said it. um so um so when I, at some point, well, not at some point, when I went to college, <laughs> um, I, that's when I stepped into like Christianity in the sense that I met people who were Christians um, and they talked about salvation and all of this stuff. Are you saved? I don't know. Um, you know, but, but it, but just, I always, um, but I, had this um this heart that was connected with his in the sense of the standard and the values and everything that um that we know are his standard um and i i walked that is what produced the mockery um the rejection those kinds of things um and um so then when i entered like Christianity in college, um, I just got really confused. Um, because, so I, am I making sense? Yes, you are. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I felt like Earth had no advocate. 
um, that humanity had no advocate. Um, so I, I mean, when I, when I say I tried to pick up the pieces, I mean, literally like was in shelters, food centers when I was like 10. Um, I mean, my parents released me into everything that my heart was just crying out for, but they didn't know how to steward it. So it was just like carrying that brokenness and that separation and trying to, trying to mend something, um, and so then in college, I um, got a degree in social work, and I'm thinking I'm I'm gonna like we're we're gonna I'm gonna fix something. Um, and um, at the same time, stepping into Christianity, and oh okay, so I've had a relationship with Jesus. Like that's what I've felt. That's what I've there there is a standard. That is how I've been walking, but. <laughs> Um, but my heart began to grow cold and hard the more, the deeper that I got in the church because it felt like, well, you have him, but, but we're not doing anything, um, Like if if separations being identified, then why aren't we reconciling that? Um, and it just felt like um, it just it it felt like no one wanted to take responsibility. And I was so discouraged by, and hear me, but by Bible studies and by all, all of these things that felt, all of these internal things that felt like repetitive, the same thing over and over. I, I don't understand why, why we're not broken. I don't understand that you can see arrogance, you can see pride, you can see the building up of your own kingdom. And all I could feel is that people are dying. I know we've heard that before, but it's it was so real all the time that this sense of urgency to, to bridge that gap or that separation um, and literally bring like reconciliation to earth that that no one would put their hands to anything. But if you confront that, well, this is what we're doing, and this is what we're putting our. I I I don't know how to I don't know how to describe how it felt. Um, but there was so much. Um, my heart just became bitter towards towards the bride and um and so Yahweh had shown me after after walking it out that there was a um it was like there was a wall between the world and the bride and I felt like um can you please stop you're distracting me um that the um I only was staying on like the outside um, because I didn't know how to 
it, it felt like we weren't getting anywhere over here. And so, um, so the only time that I would, I mean, I was going to church, I was doing all of that, but it was for the sake of trying to like bring a, bring something or bridge that gap, that separation. So it was, okay, we're going to start this ministry so that we can bring awareness to the bride of the condition of the world. Because for some reason, we don't seem to know it. Um, even though I'm not dismissing that there are ministries and there are this that do, you know, all of these things. But it just felt like the same wheels are turning and nothing is changing. We're doing the same thing over and over and over again and nothing is changing. And... There's a reality, too, when you're in the world that it feels the same, um, like especially like in in the field, I could say in the field of social work where you're you're like in the trenches with people in their brokenness. And um, all you can do is put like a little Band-Aid. Um, and so you just feel desperate and hopeless and helpless but at the same time knowing that I can't just do nothing. Um, and I'm not just talking about like suffering or, um, but, but truly separation, um, not knowing your value, not knowing your, your destiny, not knowing who you are. And, um, and at the same time feeling confused because it's like, well, the, if I'm a part of the church and learning about Christianity, then we have that answer, right? Like, cause that's always what you're like, you're the answer and you're, so then it's like, but, but we're not answering anything. Um, so, so, um, anyways, that was a lot on the personal side and I don't even know if it made sense. Mm-hmm. Did that make sense, Mom? <laughs> okay. Um, but it has taken um, the the last two years. I mean, since being at Kingdom Ears, when Yahweh literally gave me a dream, um, and I saw Mom and Dad's face. Um, I only knew Mom a little bit in a what would you call it? Like a multi-community Bible study thing? Yeah. And I'm trying, like, I'm trying to go through the motions. Okay, you go to Bible study, and you do this, and you do that. Okay. Um, But anyways, and so I had a dream where um, we were just, we were just sitting next to them. And, um, and we talked about it. And anyways, but from that time of, of coming, all of a sudden, it was like, Yahweh began to turn my heart just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more because first of all it was you can't you can't do anything really alone anyway um and that's where he had to start with me because I don't think I would have received like you aren't meant to be alone I'd be like well I'm fine though I don't really care um but my heart had to start turning back to the condition of the bride because um, I thought, I mean, I didn't know what to expect from 
kingdom heirs, but certainly not that family and connection would lead us to where it has now, where I um, am so confident in, which is why I can speak about, like, speak to kingdom heirs, speak to remnant, that stuff, because he has done such a work in my heart, because I've been searching my whole life, my entire life, have cried out in my lifetime, can can I put my hands to the separation that exists on earth from you? Can I how how can I do that? And it just felt like over and over again and over again in all of these different ways that just felt like I couldn't get anywhere. But then when Yahweh said You'll get there with family. It was like, I don't want that. (laughs) Or you'll get there with relationship. Well, I don't want that. I just want to, like, can can we just figure out how to heal the world? Like, can we figure out how to? And so it's been such a slow process um, because he's had to break those walls down in me so much and turn my heart back to being able to literally, like, could you? Trust me that in giving in giving your life to the bride that you're giving it to the world because it felt so contradictory to what I thought I should be doing. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like feeding someone. It doesn't look like all of the things that I, you know, was broken about um uh but anyways um so now the press is um to not be alone not just for the sake of moving together but that that maybe that that I don't want to be alone either which is just really scary because then you're trusting like because you're trusting that you'll be received so um and for kingdom heirs i mean that is what we're doing like in the sense of sorry but it it just it grieves my heart so deeply at what she's been characterized by because then Yahweh is so misunderstood. I think that's what was has been so heart-wrenching and hard to come back from in the sense of like she doesn't feel like him or look like him or smell like him but but everyone's saying like this is him and what do I I, like I don't know um but that is what I'm so grateful for like when mom was saying that he can trust the body again like because we're starting to like this family, like we're we're shifting her <sighs> I 
when we talk about going back to the original intent, like, that's what we're doing, like, in our lifetime, that we are, we are shifting the very things that she's been characterized by, and I can feel us breaking through that more and more and more and more, and... And there's a restoration of that separation. It feels like not only will she be we, right? Like that's why it's so hard because the only way that she can be redefined is for us to be redefined. The only way that she can be transformed is for us to be transformed. And like I I believe that we will look like him and smell like him and and that it's not like for our family that it is not just for a season that it's not that we're pushing through something we're breaking through something that that hasn't been broken through before I really believe that um because because she was so complacent and so unwilling to die to herself to be able to really know him that it's like um that's not that's not who we are characterized by so it won't be her either um and that we're a part of the remnant that is going to be able to go like in that restoration of separation that we get to like be home like even even on earth which is what feels so hard because there's like that literal separation and so in the sense of not that there but you get what I mean and so when there's so much separation all around here like can I just go home but I can, I can feel the remnant being called home and to be able to experience that in a way on earth that, that will be, that will be like sustained. So, I don't know what else to say. Angel. Can you guys that makes sense. hear the yeah. blessing and cursing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in what she's describing. Mm-hmm. I just felt like that was like super profound because like the whole time you were talking, and you were talking about like on this side, on this side, and what it looks like. Hopefully that was like encouraging. It didn't sound like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How about you stay home so instead of being a social blessing. worker? And you like, social worker is a blessing. And then he's like, 
but that could be the very thing that's a curse mm -hmm. because I'm after your heart. So I was just saying like how they were. Well, I really honor you guys, and um, this is going to be so powerful. And this was extremely powerful, and I think. Mm -hmm engaging this way as a family in terms of intimacy it's like we all get to receive that rawness of who John and Megan are you know we get a glimpse into that and um, it's easy to tell after hearing that how even thinking about when God put us together you know it was like he installed a a pillar underground that we didn't we didn't know what was to come, that we were going to need that, you know, that firm foundation in the Hanson family. And, um, you know, you can just hear the, like, like mom had said, you know, they didn't, because we pulled their name out of a bag, prepare for tonight. I mean, this is, this is their heart, you know, and yeah. when I think of consistency, I think of John and Megan, you know, and, um, and so... We're extremely thankful that Yahweh brought, you know, our families together, and, you know, speaking for everybody. But, man, this engaging in intimacy is no joke. <laughs> this, is, this is no joke. But, uh, yeah, thank you guys. I think one of the things that's super powerful, obviously, everything he just said, but also for... Some of us, like when Gabe was talking about, like, if there was any time to tap out, not that we're at that place, but it's always refreshing to hear. We have some, the reality is that we have some that are here that are like, yeah, I'm not sure about all this. And then you have someone who has been dying their whole life to find the answer and says this is the answer while in and of ourselves could be like is it <laughs> if that if that makes sense so when he's talking about an absolute pillar underground it was like I mean if you, t you talk about the remnant finding one another if yeah. that makes sense yeah. I mean we were both yeah. going through the motions of going to a Bible study yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a survival on two opposite ends of the extreme. Right. And then Yahweh was like, here, without us having any idea of what was coming next. And yet it was an answer. So if you guys ever have like any questions or want to know more about their intimate story, because there is some powerful stuff, like how you leave is how you enter. And that couple left correctly. Like they left a system right. They went into a system right there. I mean, there's just there was just a lot that was happening during that whole time. But the only foundation was a dream and then to know that I mean the dream but then to know that that Yahweh was going to create an answer when you would think that with their story you'd run far far away from church yeah. you know I mean at the end of the day we were a church also you know what I mean if that makes sense I mean it was the it's the remnant and so there's again that blessing and the cursing and trying to discern what is and what isn't and so it's refreshing, at least for me, to hear, you know, when we're in the middle of having to walk out everything that he said in the night season, to have someone say, I've cried out my whole life, and this is the answer because he's going to do it in family. And 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 that shift of what we thought, you know, just super powerful. I wanted to practically point out um, before we continue as well that with within what they shared is a 
is a tangible example of what it looks like to stay committed to the unseen. When when you listen to what they were saying, there's tangibility in exactly what that means. And Megan was talking about praying for an outcome. Yahweh, this is what I desire. And he answered with a process. Yeah. So, but... In in the even in the height or yeah. the the depth of the heartache or whatever the intensity of all that right he didn't even give an answer mm-hmm. it's the answer is is remained unseen and he said I want you to do this take this step do this I know there's testimonies with Lovin with John that are equally as powerful that. John saw something that wasn't seen and engaged in a process. He stayed committed to the process. That's what it looks like mm-hmm. to stay committed to the unseen. You don't necessarily have the answer because when you pray, I know I can speak for everybody. When you pray to Yahweh, he doesn't say, here's the answer. Here's what it looks like. Here's the time frame. Here's the deadline. Right. He says, take this step. Do this. Don't do that. And you're like, you know. And this is why it's so powerful as a family to also be committed to the unseen in one another. Because there are aspects. I didn't know the fullness of Megan, but I received her by the Spirit. Same same with John. There's things that that you don't know, and yet we know. Mm -hmm. Not because of a process of like, we're going to meet once a week. This is how we're going to get to know one another is by the spirit yeah. and being like they didn't know us when he stood behind him. He didn't know him from two bucks, ten bucks, whatever. He didn't know him, but it was like by the spirit. Yeah. So being committed to the unseen in one another to know someone on such an intimate level, you endure a process because once you get into a process, it's not like it's pretty. Right. I'm 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 committed to the unseen and I see the end result, but sometimes we're not at the end result. So then we're both in the middle of a process when it's not fun, not pretty. You have to walk, you know, things are getting exposed. You got to walk it out. You're redoing stories. You're at all this. But that but being committed to the unseen is what keeps you wanting to continue in that process which is what covenant is mm-hmm. which doesn't say okay we're halfway through this process and I'm like yeah yeah I'm not I don't think so because that's right. not that's not where you got, that's what the answer is is being able to walk out that covenant which is a part of being committed to the unseen as well because there are things that on both ends I mean obviously part of our story too is totally misunderstood I mean I remember Megan one time sitting in my office and she is like, I am commit. I can't remember what I was saying. I said something about how like I'm complicated. Like nobody wants to do life with me because I'm not fun. I'm complicated. And she's like, I will commit my entire life to walking through your maze until I get to the heart of whatever is inside of there. <laughs> but to have people who don't know what they're saying. Like she's saying that, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> when she came home and told me what Megan said, I was like. <laughs> not because because I it, it, no it's, it's not it's intricate it's like it's not easy to well he know. can make that face because until that moment nobody had made that commitment to me other than him so uh, we had decided that we were gonna only have two people share 
because um, because we are going into a feast. So in the middle of this five weeks, we've got a feast that's coming up. And so I really felt strongly that we didn't want to just show up on next Friday and just begin to celebrate Pesach without being sent into it. But I also didn't feel like we necessarily needed a whole night to have to teach on Pesach either. So I definitely have some intentions for tonight and want to release us into this feast. So, so the first thing, um, oh, so the first thing I wanted to talk about is just super, super, super practical because it's Friday night, it's the 31st. Tomorrow is April 1st. For our family, this is just us personally, for us, what that means is it is a shift into walking into this um, walking into this celebration, walking into this feast. So for us, we will be transforming our home tomorrow. So if anybody wants to follow in that, we're going to be spending this whole next week. Basically, for me personally, I have um, essentially like nighttime decor or um, I have night nighttime stuff and I'm going to be shifting all of that into my Pesach stuff and just bringing out everything. I also was just telling him I'm really feeling led that I want to do one huge walk through the house and minimize like I want a trash bag out of the girls' room. I want a trash bag out of the boys' room. I want a trash bag out of the office. Like I just, <laughs> I want, I just want to just clean house. And while we're doing that, the heart behind it is to be searching for any comets, which is leaven. And so what you're doing spiritually is you're looking through all the nooks and crannies. You're basically doing a huge spring cleaning. Remember when he said get your house in order? This is a huge part of that. We're into the day season, and Pesach's a perfect opportunity to basically kosherize, or I understand that I'm probably not like legally koshering, but we're kosherizing or we are making ourselves ready and we are cleaning our house. And so what you're doing is, is you are going through your kitchen cupboards and you're looking for... Um, Things like, uh, for our family, what we have started off with is going to be actual yeast, including baking powder and baking soda. So the things that create things to puff up. There is a Sephardic Jews that do have like a whole list. If you want to go down that road, it includes anything that puffs up. So even beans, oats, um, whiskey, beer, anything that's fermented. Any, anything like that, they, they, they go down that whole list. Part of what I want us to do, we are in a place where we can be hungry, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is so many resources out there. And so I'm just laying the foundation of what we do and what kind of that baseline is. So as we celebrate as a family, we all know that when we get together, there will be no yeast, no baking powder, no baking soda, because we will be leaven free. But that doesn't mean that we can't have oats, because as a family, we are going to have oats, even if you choose to go down. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this whole, so from Saturday until Wednesday, is your time to prepare your home because the start of sundown Wednesday night I know we're celebrating as a family Friday but Passover is actually Wednesday night so on sundown on the 5th Wednesday night starts the feast of unleavened bread which means at that moment at sundown you're not eating any leaven and it should be all out of your house Does that make sense mm -hmm. and that is going to go all the way until sundown the 13th so the Feast of Unleavened Bread is from the 5th to the 13th. So Wednesday night all the way to the 13th. Okay? We happen to be celebrating right smack in the middle, which is going to be Friday and Saturday. Um, 
which is really interesting because this year, you remember how I taught on, uh, you, have, you have Passover, which is first, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and at the end of that, you've got First Fruits. First Fruits happens to land right in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread this year, and Friday is First Fruits. So, not that that necessarily changes what we're celebrating, but just so you guys know, the reason why you need to know this, that the, that the feast, because remember, the, the um, spring feast, there's three. So we have Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and we have First Fruits. The reason why First Fruits is important is because it's the beginning of your counting. You guys remember the counting of the Omer? Yeah. It begins your process to get us to Shavuot. So the night of uh, First Fruits on that Friday, we will be counting the 49 days to get us to Shavuot, which is going to end up being on May 25th. May 25th, I should say, is day 49. We are celebrating that Friday on Pentecost or on the 50th. <laughs> okay. So, and we've got more to come with how we're going to do the counting of the Omer, how we're going to facilitate it, how we're going to went through the counting of the Omer, because what he's doing is he's taking you through an intentional process. Remember seven times seven? Seven is complete. There's there's an aspect to a, a concept, a kingdom concept every single week that you can focus on every single um, day. You can be focusing on. There's just so many different ways to do it, but what it is is it's a preparation process. One of the um, mystical aspects of counting of the Omar that I personally love is that actually takes you through the entire body. It's taking you through all the way from your toes to your head, and it allows you an entire process, and it's such a powerful thing because you have to remember with the story, they left one thing to be delivered into another, and while they were being delivered, there were some things that were handed to them, and one of the things that was handed to them was Shavuot. I mean, Shavuot had been there, but one of the things that came right in the middle of that was his promises, his commandments, his instructions to be able to do this. And I want to be in a process to be able to receive those instructions. And so that's ultimately what is going to be starting on that Friday night. So, so typically, traditionally, your Seder is the first two nights. So Wednesday and Thursday night, depending on how you lead your family, could be parts of the Seder. We are going to be engaging in an aspect of the Seder um, that I'm super excited about on Friday night. Plus, if you guys remember, Friday night, 6 o'clock here, bring your cups because we're going to be engaging in the first cup. So next Friday, we'll be teaching on the first cup. Remember, there's four cups to communion. So we're going to be engaging in the first cup and part of the Seder on Friday night. Yes. Then on Saturday, we'll come, we will be, the plan is to be at the building, 10 o'clock. Bring your cups, bring your Afikoman bags, bring, um, if you can, we do have chairs, but bring bring a chair. In case we end up going outside, I don't know, it's supposed to be cold, but bring a pillow, bring something to sit on. Traditionally, if you guys remember when I taught on Pesach, it's not necessarily tables and chairs. We're going to have some tables set up to where you can completely engage sitting on the floor. So if you want to bring your pillow, this is where we drink and we lean all day long. So um, so come 10 o'clock, it'll go from like 10 to 6 to 7. Bring your cups, Afikoman bag, and a chair. And, of course, your teams, your meal. I've been hearing about the menu. Maybe some of you teams are not privy to the other teams, but let's just say we are going to be eating good all day long. <laughs> it's just going to be amazing. So Healthy? Healthy? It'll be healthy. <laughs> healthy and amazing. So um, stuff you have to take out of your house, do you have to throw it away? So traditionally, uh, there's a tradition where you can sell it, 
like they gather everything and then they they sell it. There's like rabbis that do that. Um, but what we did was we actually just threw it away. You have to eat it all. Or eat and just ingest it all. Well, okay. So our family is starting with just baking powder, baking soda, and yeast. So. So, yeah, so that's just those those three things are the things that I think would be, I mean, it's a press for me. I mean, when you buy some organic baking powder and you're looking at it, you're like, oh, or that nutritional yeast that I got from Amazon and it's an entire thing. So that's where we're starting. But there is, there is fermented stuff also. So you go back and buy it later? Uh -huh. Just for a season? Yeah, it's just for that week. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. It's for just for that week. You're, what, what you're, the concept behind it is that, number one, it's not there to eat. Um, but number two, it's kind of the process yeah. of being able to imitate or mimic on earth when he says get rid of that pride. Yeah. Like, you know, like the cost of, but that makes what John was even talking about, but that feels good. Yeah. That costs me something. And so I'm puffed up in this area. And when you have to go through and search your home and yeah. say, not for not for now. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to have that for now. And being able to toss that's kind of like a prophetic act of being able to get rid of anything that may puff us up, which is the reason why we don't um, engage in any kind of leavened bread or anything like that, because it's almost like a fast, like a Daniel fast or another fast where for seven days we are focusing on we are not going to eat anything that puffs us up. So that's why we intentionally will eat ma uh, matzah or um, bread that's flat because it's reminding us that we would be low, that we would be flatlined. Remember when, when I talked about that, that we would be um, that we would be a people that would just not be puffed up. And so it's just kind of a prophetic act of, of why we do that. And then, of course, at the end of uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then it's totally fine. And it's so fine that as you walk to Shavuot, they're waving two bread loaves and so it's it's a super powerful process. When you when you give up everything, you yeah. end up gaining double portion yeah. and mm -hmm. baked. Yeah. You don't just get the ingredients, but you get the whole thing um, all the way at the next feast. So it's just it's so powerful when we begin to start studying the feast. So. Okay. So Wednesday night feast of unleavened bread all the way till the 13th, and then we will be together on Friday and Saturday. So any questions about that on the practical side? No. Okay. So um. Uh, okay, so I have a word about. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, you guys saw the invitations, right? Mm -hmm. There is a purpose um, because I I have a word about um, doorposts, and so I'm going to release this word, and then afterwards I'm going to give some uh, practical examples of what I think Yahweh is going to have us do as a family. So when I heard about this. Um, about this Pesach, as you as you guys know, he's building precept upon precept, right? And um, we really focused on the cups, and we're still going to focus on the cups because it is a huge aspect that the church has said communion is just this one aspect and just this one aspect, and not recognizing that there are four promises that come out of Deuteronomy and that there are four cups and that Yeshua himself also engaged in that. So that Last Supper is not the picture that we've seen where they did their little sip and they broke the little bread or, you know, the little, it, it's not what he was doing. He was drinking and eating all day and engaging in all of these cups. So, so it's super powerful about the cups. But this year I want, uh, I really felt like he wanted us to focus on doorposts. So let me read, uh, let me read. 
out of Exodus. Okay, so I'm in Exodus 12. Uh, I'm actually going to start in verse 7. So Exodus, Exodus 12, verse 7. They are to take the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the crossbeam of the houses where they will eat it. And then you go down to uh, verse 13. <coughs> the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Okay. I'm really wanting to release this word and not necessarily teach, but... There's an aspect that when he spoke doorposts, I didn't necessarily know why. As I dug into this, obviously, there's all the plagues and there's there's this whole storyline. But on the 14th of Nisan, which is going to be this Wednesday, remember Gabe said at communion, we're on the 10th of Nisan. So on the 14th of Nisan, Passover happens. And there was some instructions to the Israelite family that they were to do in order to safeguard their homes from that plague. From my understanding, up until that point, the Israelites were subject to all of the plagues. There wasn't a separation with the frogs. There wasn't the locusts didn't just hit Pharaoh and not it was the whole land and that's where they lived. And so those they were subject to all of those plagues. But this last plague, he always says that there's an answer. And you will be spared from enduring this plague if you Okay. Ultimately, what I'm going to end up speaking to is there's this aspect that we will think it's under the blood. Mm-hmm. It's all under the blood. Mm-hmm. But there was specific instructions on how, where, when to apply the blood and what you were to do under the blood. Mm-hmm. And it That's mattered good. if you were out or inside of the house. Mm-hmm. Because he said, get in, lock the door, and put the blood on. Put the blood on, get in, and lock the door. If you are caught outside of the house, when when that comes, th- when when the death mm. angel comes through, if you are caught outside of the house, you will be hit with this plague. So it's not just it's under the blood, it's all under the grace, mm. right? There was intention about the doorposts. So I just feel like there's something strong about what is he saying to us about this doorpost, about the house, about the line in the sand. What is he saying about the instructions? Not just, well, the blood is good. Because what does it mean when we fast? Because we have to understand this. Because then we don't understand what Yeshua was talking about. Because then we just take it for granted. So when Yeshua strongly says, I am the door. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking at that like that is a really cool revelation. Only uh, Only to the Father through you. But how... How do I get to the Father through you? What does that mean? It's the house, and there's an entryway, and there's instructions about this doorpost. So I'm just all excited about this Hmm. doorpost thing. I'm like, what is it? Because I want to know what that means. Why did Yeshua so boldly say in John, why did he say, I am the door? The only way to the Father is through me. Hmm. And we've repeated that over and over and over again. What are we accessing? What are we saying? What do we mean when we say that he's the door? When he says, because he doesn't just say, I'm like a door. He says, I am the door. So what is it? But what does it mean then if he's the door? Cool. So I just, it's under the blood. I have a door out there somewhere whenever I want it. No, I'm pretty sure he's saying only, the only way to through the Father is through that entryway. Lock it and get in the house. And only let the enemy see my blood. 
not mm. for you to be out here, over there, wherever, and you just can, you know, whimsically put the blood. I mean, you guys understand what I'm saying. Obviously, he's always, but there, there's, there's something about the instructions. There's something about yeah. Yeah. the Israelites were given some pretty intense instructions on that night. And I yeah. want to know why, because Yeshua is the final lamb. So we all have the same instructions. Okay. So I, I start looking into this, and when you go to verse 7, um, there's specifics to the doorposts. Doorposts are these, and the crossbeam. So he's not just saying, like, the door frame. He specifically says the doorpost and the crossbeam. Okay, so I look up doorpost in Blue Letter Bible. <laughs> Maybe you guys all know this, and I have no idea what I'm doing. But I click on it. The, the name for doorpost is Masuzah. Did you guys remember last week when I was like, you guys, I feel like I'm supposed to teach on the Masuzah. Well, I'm not because he said I'm starting with the doorpost because this is what a Masuzah is. And so I'll get to it. But there's something about the Masuzah that's coming, I believe, not tonight, but at Shavuot. Uh, are you asking what a Masuzah is? That, it's that little thing that you yeah. that you got. Yes. My question then is, are you going to get to what side of it goes? Where the blood goes? Is it outside or inside? Outside. Mm. And does the host represent the cross and the blood and the crucifixion? I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get there. Okay. Slow down. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like right there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out what, what you said, though, with the masuzah. Okay. So the masuzah that I showed, is it's, it is, it is a, a Judaism thing. It is a Jewish thing where you're supposed to put a masuzah on the doorpost. And it's a prophetic act or a remembrance that anytime you go in and out of an entryway, you remember his instructions. There's actually, if anybody wants to look at our mezuzah, they, on the inside of it, there is a Torah scroll. So all five books are rolled up inside one of those, those, those um, mezuzahs. I only knew a mezuzah as one of those things. I did not know that a mezuzah is the doorpost. Yeah. I, I just had no idea. So I just got so excited because inside a masuza is the fullness yeah. of the Torah. That little thing holds the entire thing. And we know that Yeshua is the word, the word that became flesh. He is a masuza. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm just like freaking out. So, and again, it's all a prophetic act. Yeah. It's just something to bypass our brain that there's something about. Because, again, we read doorposts, and so we're thinking doorposts. Absolutely. But the Hebrew says masuzah. And when you study that word, it's just so beautiful. So, so anyways, I got really excited about that. But I want to go to the root word of masuzah. Um, this is pow powerful. The root word of masuzah means moving. Mm-hmm. Because it's an entryway that is moving. The movement in and out, okay? Abundance and fullness are the root words of Masuza. What are they? Abundance and fullness. Obviously, the literal definition of a Masuza is a, of a dwelling house. It's, of, it's the entryway to a sanctuary or temple. It's what... It's what um, 
hinges something. It also represents the city gates. This is going to give so much revelation when you read Psalms. Fling wide, you heavenly gates. The ancient doors. You know, the city, he's going to be known at the city gates. This is what this is. So when he's telling the Israelite family to do this on your Masuza, he is speaking outside outside of time. So, okay. So, um, so that's just, so just kind of to give a, a picture. Um, the Masuza is the two side door posts. Okay. Then um, there's the upper, because it says, and the upper part. Uh, this word, I'm not going to be able to say it, um, but basically the definition, the root of it is to overlook, look down or out, an overhang, to lean over and look down, to look down upon and gaze. The actual word means it's lintel. I've never heard of that. The word is lintel, and it's uh, basically a horizontal support. <laughs> I just there's a vertical and a horizontal aspect of all of this, and I'm just like freaking out. Like, what is this doorpost? And the reason why I'm I'm so intentional about the doorpost isn't just because it's a traditional thing. And on Pesach and on Passover, we saw the stories that they put the blood on the doorpost. But why? Yeah. But then why would Yeshua say, "I am the door"? Yeah. What is that? There's there's something about that. Okay, so. Okay, so then um, I want to just go down to verse 13 because I think that this is super important. Verse uh, verse 13 um, says that let this blood be a sign. Okay? The word there actually means a distinguishing mark. Let my blood be a distinguishing mark. Let it be a sign. Let it be a token. Let it be a signal. Let it be a banner. Let it be a remembrance. Let it be a miraculous sign. Let it be a warning. Let it be proof. Let it be a standard. Yeah. All of that's in that one word. Let my blood be a standard. Let my blood be a signal. Let my blood be a token. Um, the root of that word that means distinguishing mark let my blood uh, let my let, basically let my blood be a mark that word uh, it the word is um, I can give you guys the the strongs if you want them but the word is oat so that word that I'm talking about the root of that is to consent and to agree mm -hmm. Let my mark be a mark that you have consented and agreed. Whoa. Okay. It's like a contract. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Where's my computer? So, this is where things get so fun. <laughs> I hope my computer didn't die. All right. The first letter that I felt that we were supposed to engage in the Hebrew um, alphabet was obvious. Which letter represents door? Dalet. Okay, so I'm just going to show what it looks like. That's a Dalet. Okay. All right. All right, so Dalet 
But listen to how crazy this is, because this is the definition of this is why this language is alive. Okay, the definition of Dalit is um, part of Dalit is listening. Uh, it looks like a hanging tent door. It can either be opened or closed. So there's an aspect of um, being open or closed off. Um, bent over listening. Dalit really. Um, I'm trying not to get too crazy. Are you guys okay? Mm -hmm. yep. Dalit uh, is the one that will help you with humility. Because the bent over one says, I need. Mm -hmm. It's a, um, uh, like, uh, it, it means needy and to draw out. I need to draw out something because I am in need. There's an aspect of Dalit. I, I'm not going to be able to say this word, but... Um, Basically, Dalit opens us up to the doorway to his house, and the doorway to his house is humility. The word is devakut, and it's a technique that allows you to cling to him that brings you through the door to his house. This is just the definition of Dalit, okay? There's a couple of interesting things that I just wanted to throw out there. Obviously, Dalit's the fourth letter of the alphabet. There are four letters in Yahweh. Okay. The word religion is dot. So it pretty much is dalit. The word religion. Okay. <laughs> but that means that word dot means door of the cross. So basically the foundation of, you know, religion. I'm not talking about like religion in a bad way, but the foundation of who he is, is this. So the mystery behind this one aspect of dalit, because Dalit is the door. So I'm just saying as we engage in doorposts with what I'm about to talk about, just know that you've got a resource. Can I say it that way? If you're engaging in the doorpost, you have a resource in Dalit. Okay? Because there's there's a pathway there, and I want us to go through the Aleph Bait just to understand. So you have Aleph, Bait, Gimel, Dalit. A, B, C, D. Aleph is Yahweh. Bait is uh, the sun because of the house. Gimel, Ruach, the provider that comes and goes mm -hmm. in order to make a way for the entryway for you to walk through. Mm -hmm. So there's something he's walking our family through. So you have Yahweh who sent his son with the help of Gimel to give you an entry point, which is why we're in need and we can have it. Dalit is the resource for this doorway. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay? Okay, it gets better. Does that make sense? Dala is a picture of us in need. Mm -hmm. And because of Aleph, Beit, Gimel, the door is our entry point to be able to move through. Okay? All right. So. <laughs> All right. I should have done Dala before I went to verse 13. So let's just back up. Now go to verse 13. That token, that mark, that sign, right? We did the doorpost. We just did Dalit. Now we're doing the sign, the blood, the token. There's a letter <laughs> that means sign, and it's Tav. Look at this letter. I don't know why this is so exciting for me. <laughs> You guys see Tom? 
and it's a complete door frame. Okay, so Tav is your resource in understanding the fullness. So there's the entryway, the door that you're going to walk through, but then there's the framework. This is so powerful. Aleph is Yahweh, the beginning. Guess where Tav lands in the Aleph Bay? The very end. The very end. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. But Tav is the sign. It's the cross and the marking and represents the Messiah. We start with Yahweh. We end with the Messiah. But it's all full circle which I won't be able to get into, but the LFA is not linear. It is absolutely cyclical because of what happens after Tav. But just know that after Tav, there's something that's like a DNA strand that just twists everything around that brings you back to Yahweh. <laughs> but Tav is the end of all of this. So what I wanted to, um, to talk about with that is Tav. This is the literal definition of Tav. Uh, it's a cross. The ancient Hebrew does not look like this. It looks, oh, I should look, it, the ancient Hebrew is like this. <clears throat> Tav, ancient Hebrew, the pictorial graph of Tav is this. The literal definition of Tav is a marking, a sign, a covenant. It's a symbol of ownership. Tav literally means truth. It's a signature. Isn't this crazy? Yeah. It's like as if I'm reading the scriptures. Yeah. He said, let my Tav... I mean, he doesn't say that. He says, let my blood be a significant yeah. sign. But we have a Hebrew language that says, let yeah. my Tav be the sign, right? Yeah. Um, it means Messiah. Um, the beginning and the end. Oh, I, there's an aspect of Tav that has to do with joining. So now I'm looking at the horizontal part. Because Jew and Gentile will be come together. There is so much mystery in this letter. It is insane, especially when you get into the gematria of it and the numbers. And it means 400. How many years were they in slavery? 40 times 10, 8 times 10, 8 times 5 times 10. It's, it's just crazy when you look at all of those things and what it means. So Tav is your resource about the doorpost. Okay? Uh, are you guys okay? Okay. All right. So I'm just going to fast forward. John 10, 19. And I can read it. That's not my Bible. So fast forward to uh, John 10, 19. Am I saying that? Oh, I'm sorry. John 10, 9. I was like, that is not what I want. Again, a division arose among the... <laughs> no! <laughs> 10, 9. says, I am the gate. I am the door. If anyone comes in through me, he will be saved. He will come and go and find pasture. The thief comes to only steal, slaughter, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Amen? Amen. It actually starts in verse 7. So Yeshua said again, Amen, Amen, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All those who come before me um, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So basically he just keeps declaring over and over again, I am the door. There's, there's something, there's a mystery in this that we're going to be activating, okay? So when I look up the Greek word for that gate and door, um, this uh, basically just means an entrance, a portal, a passage into, an opportunity. 
I am the opportunity. <laughs> um, it's the door of the kingdom of heaven that did. Okay, I want you guys to listen to this because this is in uh, the renewed covenant. It means a door of the kingdom of heaven that denotes that there are conditions which must be complied with in order to receive into it. Hmm. So even in the Greek, when he says, I am the door, the definition says that this door prophetically means that there is a door to the kingdom of heaven, but it denotes that there are conditions which must be complied. Hmm. Now, again, I'm not talking about conditions of you being clean. But I'm talking about the obedience. It's not just under the blood. But where, why, how, and when, and where are you? Yeah. Okay? Where did, did you go through that door? Were yeah. you open? Were you closed? Were you out? Were you in? Where is it placed? Right? So I just, uh, basically, I just wanted to speak to you about slavery. Slavery, you're outside the house. You are subject to every plague. But when you apply the blood, you go inside. Okay? It's not just under the blood un unless you're in the house is what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a flippant. You can't stay in slavery and say the blood yeah. over there and think yeah. your firstborn is going to survive. Mm -hmm. It is the blood and being in the house yeah. that the firstborns were, were, were um, not slain. That, what do you call yeah. that? Were lived. What? Spared. spared. Yes, yeah. spared. <laughs> that their firstborns were spared. It wasn't just under the blood, but it was under the blood in the house. Okay? They had to obey. And a sign of what? It says, let this be a sign. But a sign of what? They weren't twiddling their thumbs. It wasn't apply the blood and then they were looking out the window. Read all of chapter 12. There is specific instructions. What they did with the lamb, how many days, how they slaughtered it, what they did once they did, once they put the blood on the doorpost on the outside, they got in the house. What did they do as a family? They were cooking. They were roasting. They were up. They were doing things. They were getting ready to leave. They were getting ready for the next thing. So there was instructions. It's not just, you know, how we've said it's under the blood and we're just sitting there waiting. And he's like, the blood is there to spare you from something. Now do something with it. Yeah. yeah. Let's go back to Megan and John. <laughs> what what are we doing in the house, right? So to be marked is beyond what we've known is what I feel he wants for us. To be marked, to have a sign that sets us apart, to have a token, to have proof, to have that marked over our doorways. It's it's beyond what we've known. Everything matters. Down to the details, everything matters, okay? Because Yeshua's story is the exact same. When he says, I am the door, where is he now? There is a door inside of me, right? When I, I, I am the door and him being inside of me, but then there's some activity. Talk about the counting of the Omer. There's some activity that needs to be going on inside this house. I can't just paint the blood over yeah. my door and just twiddle my thumbs. Yeah, yeah. Go back yeah. to my testimony last week. Yeah. Right? You're, right. You're, putting, you're putting a mark on your door and then you're doing something yeah. with it from the inside out because it's inside the house. Yeah. It's inside the house where your generations are spared. Yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. And everything matters. It all matters. All the details matter. And this is why it matters because Yeshua's story repeats the entire whole scene. This is why we rehearse. Yeah. We're not rehearsing because of Passover. Yes, we are because of our ancestors. But that just pointed us to the rehearsing of what Yeshua did. Mm -hmm. And for us to understand what he really did do when we say that his blood is on the doorpost. Mm -hmm. 
that he is the final lamb. Amen? Amen. It's the same today, and it's the same for what's going to come. Yeah. It's all symbolic. A lot. That's why it's so heartbreaking when people say, "Oh, that was for then." That that was for that was for then because that's why we rehearse because it's happening. It, it will happen again. It happened with him, and it's going to happen again. Because remember, Passock um, arcs. Remember when we went over all of the feasts? Mm-hmm. Passover arcs with the final feast, which is tabernacles, dwelling. This is why he came and he tabernacled among us. It's all, it just keeps repeating it and it's all cyclical. So when you've got the Alpha and you've got the Tav and you've got Passover and you've got tabernacles, there's something that's happening with our door. And at Shavuot, he gave us the power to be able to activate that door, to be able to, you know, receive, you know, tabernacles. So remember, Passover, when we're rehearsing and celebrating, it is a remembrance, but we're also rehearsing in that full circle. Yeah. Because yeah. tabernacles has not been fulfilled yet, yeah. but it does arc with tabernacles, yeah. and that's why we continually rehearse. So, that's there's it. the doorpost. Wow. That's so cool. So I felt like instead of teaching on the masuza in the way that I knew it, I believe something's coming at Shavuot, yeah. and I believe that we're going to receive something about the masuza that we've never understood before that we wouldn't be able to receive right now until we go through this process. I just didn't know that. So the mezuzah will come probably near Shavuot, but right now we're going to focus on doorpost, which is a mezuzah. Okay, so I just practically want to send us and release us into, because remember what I said is we're going public, right? We have the cups, but we're going public with the doorpost. So what does this look like for your family to prophetically activate your doorpost? And what does that look like to be able to basically decorate or be on display that we celebrate Passover? Because remember, we're up against a system that will put out Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. And I hope that this passionate little teaching would keep us revived and passionate when those temptations come of all the you know churches that are at, you know, because it, 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 it blows my mind that we will focus on a bunny or we will focus on an egg and we are not teaching our children about the story of what he did, the miraculous of what he did and the miraculous of what he's doing now because he says, I am the door and he is in me, that that is our access point. And so just, you know, just thinking of all the ways that we could celebrate, that we would choose to celebrate in small ways that would honor and rehearse and call, because we want to match heaven. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, heaven is not dancing with an Easter bunny. Heaven is not, right? I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but heaven is not familiar with what's going on down here. It is absolutely not familiar. But but there is a sound that is coming that needs to bypass our brain that says, I don't know Dalit. I know the letter D. But I had to learn the letter D and I can learn Dala. And what is this? Because it's alive and it's breathing. And what is Tav and what is the mark and the covenant? And how do I engage that? And so I just wanted to give a kind of an example of some things that I saw prophetically. Um, I saw, I went to um, Hobby Lobby and was searching through fabrics. Um, and I saw two doorways in our home. I saw the outside door and then I saw actually the outside mudroom door. And so I got this like almost couch material, um, in yards. We measured out our door to be able to kind of cut and drape 
and he's going to hang up a way to just kind of drape basically this cloth over the door. And then I saw some dimension to it because I, I wanted, um, I kind of saw some dimension and some reality to this <laughs> that it just caught my eye to put in front in front of this to just decorate both doorways. And then um, I found these. And I actually asked them, I said, do you guys by chance have any greenery that reminds you of thorns? Mm -hmm. And they literally looked at me and they were like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, out of all this greenery, you have nothing like a rose, thorn, like thorns? And they were like, uh-uh. I turn around and there's these. Wow. And I'm like, well, I, I mean, I would think that they would point me to this section. <laughs> I mean, it's got a crown. I mean, anyway, so I found these and I saw this um, kind of activated in the corner mm -hmm. to symbolize that ending of Dalit, but yeah. where Tav kind of connects it. Yeah. So I saw this in the corner. So I got a couple of those. And then I actually found this oh, wow. um, to hang on the front door as a wreath. So I, I mean, I would love to be able to paint on my door. I am the door, but um, somehow I want to activate. I am the door, like that scripture, but I'm not necessarily sure how to do it. So I just wanted to kind of give some practical ideas as we move into Shabbat, when you're cleaning your home and you're minimizing and you're getting rid of everything that would puff you up. Um, that at the same time, He's giving us such a way to honor these things that are so symbolic, uh, you know, for, for our children and for our families and a way to be able to go public that, that as for me and my house, mm -hmm. that we will honor the Lord. And he says multiple times in Exodus 12, this is an eternal feast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You will remember this night yeah. for all generations. Yeah. There are many commandments that are not Torah because they're, they were seasonal. But then there are a few where he says, you will honor eternally, which is why I say heaven knows what this looks like. Yeah. Heaven sees this because he says for all of eternity, for, for generations to come, you will honor this feast. And this is a feast. And remember, there's three, but specifically to honor the first to send us in. Passover is the actual ending, or I should say the ending of the plagues and the beginning of all of those feast if that makes sense mm -hmm. so but remember Passover repeats itself that's not the only Passover because then Yeshua was a Passover and there was actually multiple times where we'll end up learning in our history where Passover was activated we just didn't know it was Passover <laughs> like yeah. Isaac and Abraham yeah happened on the Nissan 14 mm -hmm. so like when the lamb yeah. came out of the bushes mm -hmm. there was yeah. Passover Nissan 14, there was Passover before we knew Passover. I mean, Yahweh is so yeah. not a mystery and yet so a mystery, <laughs> yeah. right? But it, on Nissan 14, Abraham and Isaac, then you fast forward, then you've got the actual, I mean, so the Israelites knew when these commandments came, they had known their people. Yeah. This had happened to my uncle yeah. or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. This happened to my great, great uncle and he was spared. I get it. I yeah. get it. If he could spare Isaac, he can spare my yeah. firstborn. And they activated it, and they did it. And they understood about the land. They understood about that because they knew about their people. Just like when Yeshua came, the ones that could hear, the ones that could, that's why he said, have ears to hear. Right? I mean, fast forward, I could keep going. Revelations 3.20 says, I will knock and those that answer. I will, I will come through. There is so much about the door that's in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, and what's to come. And we get to activate that in our homes this, this year. So go public, activate that door, and we get to be a part of Passover. So Wednesday night. So let's have our doors ready by, pass, by Wednesday night. Send pictures. 
let's go public, um, you know, whatever that looks like. Go ahead. If the doors are decorated before that, is that okay? Or do we I think want so. it like Wednesday? No, I think, I think it's okay. Yeah, it's done before. But just by Wednesday. Passover will kick us off, and then we'll be in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll be celebrating together, essentially starting first fruits and sounding, starting that counting process to get us to uh, Shavuot when the Torah was given to the people. When the mezuzah wasn't just a door, but became. Anyways. <laughs> I love the feast. Did that answer your question, Dwayne? So essentially, they were painting. They were painting a cross on their doors. Like they were engaging in the, they were in great, they were engaging in the Messiah event is basically what was happening. And yeah. we know that because like Gabe said tonight, they were, they were, they crossed into the promised land, but also when they crossed over the Red Sea and he said, look, your Yeshua is there. It was their salvation. They had constantly been engaging with the Messiah and that's why, you know, anyways, so. Awesome. But I, well, never mind, never mind, never mind. <laughs> And fabric's 40% off. Oh, wait. They also have um, palm branches that should be going on sale. I think Hobby Lobby always changes on Saturday, right? Yeah. So they were not on sale today, so the fabric may change, but then there was palm branches. So I'm trying to incorporate, you guys know me in palm branches. Yeah. You guys will be seeing all my palm branches next Friday. <laughs> but they had palm branches that you could think of ways to be able to honor that as well. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.